15 minutes ago, the world changed. Companies are microchipping their workers. Robots are hiring humans. And brain-to-brain -brain communication is a thing. This is all happening now. If you want to know what happens next, listen to the Jim Stroud Podcast. There's a theory that the reason why we are all so freaked out and obsessed and terrified of nuclear war, but in general kind of meh about the whole concept of global warming and catastrophe is that certain things are very easy to fear. Certain things are very, because they're, they're instant, they're fast, they're quick, they're obvious, they're boom, right there. It's a thing that we can do a thing and stop a thing. It's a very direct feedback loop of if I do this, this stops happening. Whereas global warming and climate change is the sort of thing where let's say you do everything right, how do you know you did it right? How do you know the end? The impact is technically part of a massive system of all sorts of companies and people and motivations and choices and government policies and all this other good stuff, and you may not even know if you're doing it right for years and years and years and years. That is to say, our brains are pretty good at identifying and managing fears and problems that are instant and fast but very, very bad at managing those that are slow, things that are slow to you know, manifest itself, slow to metastasize, I guess. And that's true of employer branding as well. And I, that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about the difference between employer brand that's fast and employer brand that's slow. Welcome to the TalentCast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis recording from Chicago, as per almost always at this point. Um, just want to let you know, thanks to all the people who are subscribing to the newsletter, we've gotten more than 900 subscribers, so we're about to hit 1,000 very soon. So feel free to subscribe. It's free. It's, it's completely different from the podcast. It is me pointing to articles and kind of annotating them and say, this is why this is interesting. Designed purely to keep you sharp and make you smarter about employer branding if that's your sort of thing. So feel free to go sign up, employerbrand.news, or click the link in the show notes, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Uh, yeah, fast and slow. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to crib somewhat from synopsises of thinking in fast and slow, but that's really not the point here. What kind of started this thought process is this idea that, um, you know, much like yourself, I'm probably asked at least once a week, what's the ROI on employer branding? What's the value of employer brand? What's the, the, you know, how do you measure it? How do you make sure that it's worth investing in? And sometimes there are companies that are very, very smart and what they're really looking for is, what's your version of the answer? And some, you know, some people in companies are simply going, I, I still am not convinced that it's a thing. Now, I could do three other podcast episodes about how to answer that question. But I'm trying to dig below the, and maybe I will, maybe that's a good idea. Um, actually, that's those are like four chapters in my book at some point I'm gonna finish. So still in the midst of second draft and goodness, I gotta finish that thing. Anyway, 
what I want to do today is kind of dig a little deeper and talk about this idea of what's the question behind the question. When people are talking about ROI, when they're usually thinking about it, they're thinking about it from a very business standpoint, which stands to reason given that's a very business topic, right? If it wasn't for the fact for business, no one would ever say, what's the ROI on eating? What's the ROI on farming, right? <laughs> You'd be like, it it keeps us fed. I'm sorry, buddy. What what is the problem? Or who are you making reports for exactly? So that's the thing. You you have a question of ROI. The question is, how do you measure the value? And business, for better or worse, and it is a mixed bag tends to think very short term, right? Especially if you're in a public company where there are quarterly reports and quarterly earnings announcements and your stock price fluctuates dramatically based on how well you perform relative to the expectations by the market. And I've been in that world and it's a tough world to live in. And it's very easy. It's very e You're incentivized functionally to sacrifice long-term strategic choices in order to maximize short-term financial gains. That is, even if you know that there's part of your business that's never going to grow and it's never going to succeed, but it generates enough cash to justify itself, it's creating cash flow, investors will say, keep it going, even though everybody knows that's <clears throat> going to die off soon. And rather than, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm coughing, I should drink more coffee, he said. Rather than, say, throw that business off or spin it off or sell it to somebody, you're going to keep it, but that means removing the resources you could be using and spending to grow, to go to the next stage, to come up with the next thing, right? And you're trying to put one foot in both camps and you're trying to, what's the joke? You're trying to jump the chasm in two leaps. <laughs> you can't really do that. Or if you're, you've got one, one foot in each territory, you're effectively sitting on a, on a fence and that's uncomfortable. That's, that's true. And that's, that's very true. And that's not just public companies. It's also private companies who have internal investments and they do check their numbers quarterly and they do know if not monthly and they do know what is profitable and what is not profitable and they do want to know that if they're going to drop some money on a project or an idea or initiative or whatever we're going to call functionality which i think is my new kind of how i think about it it's a function uh, because it can live in all sorts of different places and it can be staffed and structured all sorts of different ways but if that functionality is it worth investing in and if you're already investing it, is it worth investing more? Now, when you think that question, what you're really being asked to do is look at employer branding through the lens of fast, through the lens of, is this nuclear war? Can we solve it? Can we fix it? Can we stop this problem? Now, think to yourself, what are some fast kind of problems that employer branding might be solving? And the first one that probably comes to mind is our friend Glassdoor. And honestly, I'm convinced that that is why Glassdoor is the thing that drives most employer brand projects is because companies don't are not usually well suited to thinking in slow terms, in, in very broad terms, in slow strategic terms. They're focused on solving quarterly goals or monthly goals. They're thinking in fast terms. They're focused on how do I stop this bleeding, not why did I get cut and why am I always cutting myself and how do I keep from being cut every time? right? If you've got a sharp edge to your desk and every two weeks you stand up a little funny and you catch your leg on that sharp edge of the desk and you cut yourself, the short-term solution is to put a band-aid on yourself and change your clothes, right? To get rid of the tear, maybe mend them. The long-term answer is to figure out, do I need to solve for this cutting edge of a desk? Does it mean filing down? Does it mean sanding down? Do I need a new desk? Do I need to rearrange my office? What do I do? That is a long-term solution. Now, the long-term solution to that may not have obvious benefits other than you stop being cut. Okay, good. So what's the value to that? What's the ROI on not being cut so much or ever? 
And that's why I like to joke. You know, when people say, and I do say this snarkily, what's the ROI on employer branding? I say things like, well, what's the, what's the ROI on having a teacher who believed in you or a parent who loves you? Having those things inherently makes you a better person or gives you a better shot. That's not true. If you're orphan on some level, I'm not saying you haven't, you're not a good person. I'm simply saying the deck is more stacked against you. Simply put, your life is going to be a little harder. Can you succeed like everybody else? Absolutely. But if you have a parent or parents or you have supporting teachers and you have a, the whole it takes a village mentality you know, rooting for you and hoping for you and supporting for you, your life is going to be a little easier to succeed with, right? What's the ROI on a parent who loves you? Best of luck figuring that one out. However, we know that if you have parents who love you or parent or who love you and who is committed to your success, you are more likely to be successful but you can't measure because it's a slow process. Now that's a really snarky answer. And I've said it snarkily and I've said it snarkily to people I like and hopefully they understand that I'm being snarky. I'm being tongue in cheek and not being, you know, not being completely honest and earnest there. But when you think of employer branding through a fast lens, you're thinking about how do I grow my audience? How do I get more Facebook likes? How do I get more um, TikTok uh, followers or subscribers? How do I get more Glassdoor ratings? How do I get more, how do I get more, more, more? What is a thing I can focus on? What is a thing I measure on a regular basis and how do I move the needle in the direction I want it to go? Okay, great. Now I'm gonna take a shift gears here for a second because I wanna introduce an idea that you know, but you may not know you know. And that is, how many people know the term metabolic disease? So I'm gonna try and describe it knowing full well that I am not a doctor or a medical professional in any way, shape or form, but metabolic disease is a system in which your body doesn't work very well. Metabolic disease leads to diabetes. It leads to heart failure. It leads to kidney and liver failure. It leads to strokes. It leads to all these other things. Now, if you've got metabolic disease, metabolic disease doesn't kill you. The heart attack does. Diabetes does. Liver failure does. Those things are the things that kill you. But if you don't have metabolic disease, those things really don't come into play as, as much right? Yeah, eventually we're all going to die and something's going to kill you at some point, but, and not to get all, you know, weird about that stuff, but okay, if you could avoid heart attacks in your 40s and 50s, you would avoid, you know, that, how do you do that? You avoid metabolic disease. You, okay, well, that's the question. How do I treat metabolic disease? Well, there's no medicine that says, here, take four pills for, to treat for metabolic disease. Metabolic disease is a, position in which you are not treating your body well. And by not treating your body well, you are opening the door for all these other things that will actually do real damage, i.e. kill you down the road. And sometimes that road's not very long. So for example, if you are overweight, if you are dramatically overweight and you do not exercise and you eat nothing but crap, congratulations, welcome to metabolic disease. The thing won't kill you, but it opens the door so all these other things kill you. And in a lot of ways, employer brand is metabolic disease. It's the same kind of process. Your employer brand doesn't save you or salt or, pro or, or, or kill you. Your employer brand is simply a way of looking. It's, a, it's a, a perspective of looking at what your company is doing well, right? That's how you know that things are going well or things are not going well. You don't solve your employer brand. What you do is you use employer branding to solve other problems. If you increase and strengthen your employer brand, your glass door score will go up. I'm not saying you go and make your glass door score go up. 
you use employer brand and then the natural output of that is a relatively higher Glassdoor score. It is relatively higher referral rates. It is more traffic to your sites. It is more engagement with your job postings. It is the knock-on effects. It's the, the diabetes, you know, the inverted diabetes and heart disease of the metabolic disease. Right? You don't go and solve, I mean, if you, if you try and say, if you had a problem with your glass door and you say, I'm here, that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to fix my glass door problem, you are functionally taking the pills for diabetes. You're taking the metformins and the whatevers, you know, the insulin or what you're taking, the, you're, you're solving the sharp problem, but you're not solving the underlying issues that are creating that sharp problem to begin with. You're, you're, you're putting a, good, a better Band-Aid on your cut, but you're not moving the desk out of the way to keep from being cut. Now, Short term, that might help. You can actually increase your glass door score by a couple of points relatively quickly with some smart and judicious thinking and some smart and judicious campaigning, maybe a little bit of investment, maybe a little bit of internal guerrilla marketing. There's ways of moving that needle. How long do you think that stays without changing the underlying employer branding? If your company, and I'm going to use some very broad terms here, if your company kind of has an internal sucky culture, that people just don't like working there, and you, that leads to a bad glass door score. Okay, so you apply some glass door thinking and you solve your glass door problems a bit, but you don't change how people see the company and you don't change how people see the engagement they have with the company or their future with the company. That is a short-term fix on the glass door side. Your score will go up, but it will slowly drift back down and regress to the mean where it was before, right? If you are worried about diabetes and you take some insulin, it solves for the sugar problem in your blood. But if you continue to eat ice cream, guess what? <laughs> You're going to have the problem again, right? That is a short-term fix. You're solving the fast problem. Ah, I'm going to have a heart attack. Ah, I got a glass door problem. Ah, I got diabetes. Ah, I ate some sugar. Ah, I got a, you know, you, you're solving that initial problem, but you're not fixing the underlying problem of what's really going on. So when you're thinking about your employer branding, or more to the point, when you're talking with your boss or leadership about employer branding, it would be helpful to understand and underline to them the difference between the two so that they don't think your job is to solve the short-term problem and ignore the long-term problem. Though, the long-term problem, that is, company culture, company engagement, who works here, who likes to work here, why they like to work here, communicating that information can be seen as something that may not be directly in your kind of control or your purview or your scope of work or your, your kind of focus of, of work. Leadership might say, but that's kind of, you know, the CHRO's job or the chief people officer's job or, you know, we have a blue ribbon tiger team who's going to blah, 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 take care of that stuff. Your job is just to get the glass door score up. Okay. You have just been told your job is to be a 450 pound overweight never moves ice cream eater and solve for diabetes okay well now your job is to stuff him full of insulin and stuff him full of metformin and stuff him full of glucophage until you kind of stem some of the sugar issues but there he goes eating more ice cream and it just makes your job a little harder how long can you keep this patient alive if they don't fix the underlying problem? And if you've pegged your value or if you've allowed leadership and your boss to peg your value at do you keep the glass door score down or up or do you keep the insulin down and do you keep him alive from diabetes, your job literally gets harder every day because you're pushing against a reinforced system that you are not allowed to change. 
So your job, your ability to make change within this company is a function of you convincing leadership that there's another system, another process happening bigger, slower than this instant problem you're trying to solve, Glassdoor or uh, referral rates or at, you know attrition or whatever the, 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 the pain of the day, pain du jour, not, which is different from pain du jour, which is bread of the day. Your pain of the day, you're sure you're going to solve that. But if you don't fix this bigger system, this slower moving system, you're not going to get very far. That problem will simply reappear sometimes and very often in a different way. But as we all know, that's how employer branding kind of works. Great. You've, you've, you've kind of bolstered and, and supported. You've kind of stemmed the, 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 the leaking dike that is your glass door score. You've propped it up a bit. You've plastered over it so it doesn't look like it's a problem. But that water is just going to reappear in another part of the country, right? Now I've now just turned it into Netherlands and I've just in, in, instantly added a brand new metaphor. Sorry about that, folks, but you knew what you were in for. Anyway, um, right? You, you, you solve that problem, but it shows up someplace else. Congratulations. You've now stuffed this person through with so much drugs that you've solved for diabetes, but now they're going to die of something else because the sudden influx of external insulin is hard on their kidneys and liver. It's not good for that. Insulin's designed as kind of a, if you're not producing insulin, it's a whole different ballgame. That's type one, but we're talking about type two diabetes, not to get too far medical into it. But if you're there to bolster and support, your job is really to how do you make it so that you don't need to be injecting outside insulin in? That is what your goal should be, if, it's, if at all possible, if that's still in the realm of possibility, right? Step one is to say, let's stop eating ice cream. Step two, okay, maybe take a walk. <laughs> Step three, let's lose some weight. And I know plenty of people, I've seen it online, I know in person, who've literally stopped having diabetes by fixing it with diet and exercise, right? They were looking at a lifetime of growing pharmaceutical uh, uh, bills because they were just going to have to take more drugs to solve these problems. Now, taking external drugs tends to lead to other, pro- leads to other problems, right, over time. But they had to take these drugs because they thought, I have diabetes. That's what you do. You take these drugs. But what they did is they looked for a slower process. That is, they looked for how do I lose weight? How do I make my body stronger? How do I strengthen my heart and my internal organs? How do I keep from having that that reaction that causes that short-term, ah, I need insulin problem? And there are ways to do that. And that's your job. Your job isn't to inject insulin into the patient. Your job is to get them to get up out of bed or out of the couch and say, let's take a walk and we're going to do it every day. And even on the days you don't want to do it, we're going to do something and we're going to change our diet. We're going to eat more salads and we're going to eat more spinach and we're going to do some, just some very straightforward changes to change the underlying problem. Now, does that solve the immediate, I need insulin this second? No, but You can only solve the short-term problem so many times before you've exhausted the problem. You've exhausted the system that solves it. So when you're talking to somebody about employer branding, your job is to say, look, I know you want me to solve the glass door problem, and I will. Or I know you want me to solve the initial immediate need, urgency, burning platform problem, and I will. But... If you don't allow me to look at this problem systemically, you're only going to have this problem more. And that's not because I'm not good at my job, but it's because the bigger system is now fighting against me. I'm not trying to solve a small problem. I'm 
trying to solve the manifestation of a bigger problem that you will not let me touch. So you need to give me access. I'm not saying you have to give me the power to over the entire company and that's how you fix it, but I need to be part of the Blue Ribbon Tiger Committee and I need to be involved in some of these decisions about changing policies, or at least I need to know, I need to explain to you how changing these policies or changing these systems will have a bigger impact on the broader employer brand as a big system and then how that has ultimately knock-on effects to these smaller, faster systems that you're effectively in charge of. That was a very big sentence, and that was a very big idea. But I'm hoping you get this idea that if you're trying to solve for diabetes, you should also be trying to solve for the metabolic disease that comes from being overweight, that comes from not exercising, that comes from eating poorly, that comes from all the environmental impacts and all the, the, the contextual clue or contextual choices of the things that lead to diabetes or the things that lead to kidney failure and heart failure. That's your job. If a doctor says, oh, you're having a, um, you're having a diabetic uh, sugar shock and slaps you full of insulin, what they've done is they've patched you up, but they're not fixing the underlying system. And how many times can they patch you up before you simply die from too many patches? I know I got morbid. This is, a, I mean, didn't know that I, you know, talking about metabolic disease, we get so darn morbid, but apparently here we are. Sorry about that, folks. Hopefully you're not, you know, hopefully it's not Monday when you're listening to this and I'm not dragging your Monday down. Don't worry. But that's the thing. Once you see, and that's what's interesting, for years and years and years and years, we talked about treating diabetes, treating diabetes, tr treating heart failure. Heart failure is a number one killer of adults, right? For years and 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 years in America and in other countries. And we say, okay, what we do, we're going to take some baby aspirin. Okay. <laughs> Okay, we're going to give you a stent. We're going to fix this thing. We're going to solve for this immediate problem. But we've done a bad job because humans are bad at these things and also because it's hard to sell that solution. It's very easy to sell you a pill. It's very easy to sell you an operation. It's very easy to sell you a, you have an immediate problem right now. Let's solve it right now. But if I told you, hey, you're 20 pounds overweight and that creates a 17% likelihood that you will die sooner of a heart attack, that seems like the slowest possible problem. Like something so far away, something where it's not obvious how making a change immediately that does not have immediate outcome and ramifications, but has long-term ramifications far, far, far beyond the horizon that you can see. And in a world in which we're focused on quarterly goals and measured on quarterly bonuses or whatever, however you're structured, long-term five-year change is hard to even consider. So it's very hard to sell. It's hard to sell. Hey, folks. Hey, CEO. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to change these elements in the corporate policy, and you're going to change a couple of handfuls of elements in the employee manual, and you're going to try and create a culture that is bolsters this idea that we are more blank, and you have to decide what these things are. Immediately, they will not take root. But over time, as we feed this idea, as we care and feed for this idea, as we try to make sure the roots take hold in the soil and as it grow, before it sprouts, when it sprouts, it will feed the entire company, right? You are farming now. And now this is like the fourth metaphor I'm injecting. I'm sorry. Can you tell I don't rewrite these, pre-write these things? Yeah, you should. But this idea that you can water the soil and you can plant the seeds and it will look like nothing's happening for a while, but it doesn't take long before you start to see some results, even though you can't eat it, but it doesn't take long after that until you can start to eat the results. The problem is when you're hungry, the answer is to go find some food, not to go plant some soil. Except your job really is to do both. Go find an apple and then take the seed and plant it.
right? That's, that's kind of how you have to think about this job. Because if you just solve for the immediate problem of I'm hungry, but you don't start to plant to make sure there's always food around, you are always subject to whatever food is contextually available to you. That sucks. I mean, it's bad enough that we don't have control over our jobs as it is because we don't have any actual power in our jobs. We, are, we have the ability and the, uh, you know, our, our focus is about influencing others, not controlling others. But now you've got the added problem of instability of resources perpetually because you can't, re, you can't build a system that provides resources as you need them, right? You're so focused on what the next meal is, you don't have the time to stop and plant some seeds and water them and cultivate the soil or whatever it is farmers do all day. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. You, can know, you know that about me. Okay. So what does this mean to you? That means when your boss, the, who, your leadership, whoever it is who has some modicum of authority over you says, hey, pointing to initial problem, let's call it glass door just for the sake of argument for this moment. We've got a glass door problem. Solve it. You can and should solve that, but that is not the end of the problem. You need to start to understand what is the system that created so many bad Glassdoor reviews to begin with. And then how can you adjust that system so that it starts to, one, stem the tide of fewer, you know, and create fewer negative one-star reviews and creates an interest in giving more four- and five-star reviews slowly. You're not saying, okay, tomorrow we're going to launch a project and we're going to get 50 five-star reviews and then we're solving the problem. Great. Good for you. But that doesn't solve the problem. If you're still getting one one-star review every, sing every other day, slapping 50 five-star reviews is the Band-Aid but it doesn't change the fact that every two days someone drops another one-star review and another one-star review and another one-star review. And besides the fact that that on average will bring your Glassdoor average down, at the same time, people will skim these reviews and say, one, all these positive reviews came the same week. Huh? Interesting. Noted. And two, but they're surrounded by these regular occurrences of one and two-star reviews. I think I'm going to believe these. And you haven't actually solved the problem. But if you start to say things like, look, we understand that this is what, you mean, whether it's changing how the recruiters are setting expectations in the beginning, whether it's um, changing some corporate policy, you know, encouraging changing corporate policies, right? We've talked about that before. We've talked about things like family leave. We've talked about, you know, uh, culture change and stuff like that. There's so many different ways you can make changes inside the company or encourage changes inside the company that do result in glass door changes. But those changes are slowly slow to, to manifest. It's not about how do I immediately drop on 55 star reviews? It's how do I stop having one less five, one star review every week and one more four star review every week. That's where change happens. That's how you, and because immediately just change, it shifts the, the drop off. It, sh it changes the shape of the curve of how the glass door score is moving. You don't immediately spike it straight up. You can't ping it to four and a half immediately, no matter how many positive glass door reviews you drop on it, because at some point that's fraudulent. But what you can do is start to say, clearly a change is being made where our drop is moving slower until we've actually hit the bottom and we start to move up. That's how you want to shape it. So when someone points to you and say, here's this fast problem you have to solve, say, yes, I'm going to solve that problem this way, but I'm also going to need to solve the bigger issue. Otherwise, solving the short-term problem is of no use.
And the ability to sell the concept of a slower system that is not always obvious, that is not immediately causing immediate harm, the metabolic disease of your company, right, is a hard sell. You need to spend more time thinking about it and talking about it because that is how you are going to maximize the amount of impact you have on your company and your company's employer brand. Think like a doctor in that regard, not one who in the, in the minute clinic who's going to slap you, slap a Band-Aid on you and shoot you full of antibiotics and send you on your way. They're just patching it up, but that's all their job is, and they do a darn good job at that. When you need it, man, that's super helpful. But think like a doctor, someone who's going to see you every week for the rest of your life or every month for the rest of your life. How do you change systems so that each subsequent doctor's visit is a little bit better? How do you solve the metabolic disease inside? All right, that's all I had. Thanks so much for listening. As always, thanks for reviewing. Thanks for leaving uh, uh, ratings on all your various podcasting sites. Apparently, I'm on Stitcher now. I didn't realize I wasn't, but now I am. Woo! So tell your friends who have Stitcher and, you know, party down. Uh, otherwise, I will see you next week. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye. This has been an episode of The Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple of ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash The War for Talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me. Let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.